Bless you, God. Bless you, God. Hallelujah. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And when you can stand all over this building, do me a favor and stand. We do appreciate you. When you've got John chapter 5, shout, I got it. If you need a second, say, hold on a second. I got you. Hold on. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're continuing our series uh, on, uh, uh, it's called It's Amazing. And we've been doing this series about how amazing God has been to us. Has God been amazing to anybody? Yeah, we're doing our series about... uh, about how amazing God has been and the many different ways that he has been amazing. We just pull out a few different ways that he's been amazing. Today we're going to talk about God's amazing mercy. Somebody shout mercy. Say that again, shout mercy. We're going to talk about God's, uh, God's mercy because God has been merciful to us. Amen. God has been merciful to us. Life has not dealt us what it could have dealt us in response to the way we've dealt it. So I give God praise for his mercy. Amen. Uh, Today we're going to talk about this mercy as it relates to life strategies and the way that God has been merciful to to us in the vain uh, and sometimes failed efforts of our own personal strategies to get to a place called there. And, uh, and we'll use the man at the pool of Bethesda today as our text story. So if you got John chapter 5 and you're ready to go to work, shout, I'm ready. Verse 1 says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which in Hebrew, called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew, he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made whole? And the sick man answered him, sir... I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, well, rise and take up your bed and walk. And the word of the Lord is blessed. I want you to find uh, three people and tell them amazing mercy. Amazing mercy. Amazing mercy. All right, now tell one person, tell one person, tell one person, tell them it's time to abandon your strategy. Yeah, say back to them, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we do bless you today. And, God, we give you honor and the glory belongs to you this day. And, Father, I pray that in these next few moments you would speak life and you would Send the kind of spirit that allows us to ease our way into deliverance. That you would send the spirit that makes hearing the gospel well. And the anointing that makes teaching the gospel easy. 
Father, also send the anointing that removes and disappears, Terrell, that we might see you. Show us your glory in today's service. And I bless you in the name above all names. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Smile at somebody. Tell them it's good to have you. Good to have you next to me. It's just church. It's just church. It's just church. Um, this Wednesday, I had the esteemed opportunity to speak uh, for Woodmont Services um, in San Francisco, uh, California. And I had to catch a very early flight on Wednesday because of activities that were happening in our life on Tuesday morning. So I had to catch a 6 o'clock flight uh, to get to San Francisco, take an hour drive so that I could be on the stage by 9.30. So the 6 o'clock flight gets me there at about 7.30-ish. And I get off the flight and I hustle downstairs to get to my Uber. And the plane felt like it was in a rush, so that was great. Um, our pilot felt like he was driving a car on the tarmac when he turned the corner. But I appreciate it because it I was in a rush, and I appreciate that he felt like he was in a rush. It's nothing that you could be more grateful for when you're in a rush than when the person in front of you is in a rush, too. So I felt real good about that. Jumped down and went to my pre-ordered Uber who was waiting for me downstairs. And when I jumped into the car, I guess he didn't get the memo that we were in a rush. So um, he was uh, fresh off of dropping off Miss Daisy. So he was um, very slow, taking his time to get me this hour drive down the road. So even though I was on the ground at about 8.40, or excuse me, 7.40, we didn't show up to the building until a little bit after 9 o'clock. I get out, grab my bag, dust off my jacket in the, ca in the car, and I head up toward the front, and there's a huge line of people that are still signing up to get into the auditorium. When I get to this to the place. I'm looking around, and, and because it's in the mountains in the Bay Area, you know how that is. I have no reception. I have horrible reception. So I'm trying to connect with my contact there, and I'm trying to figure out if there's maybe a picture that I have, because sometimes they show me a picture of my contact, and I'm looking through my bag, and I'm wrestling through my bag, and I'm waiting in line, and I'm trying to move forward with the rest of the people that are signing themselves in, and all of a sudden, a, a young man comes behind me, and he says, Mr. Fletcher, grab your bags and follow me. And I was amazed that he was able to pick me out of all of these people. He took me into, he took me right past the line, took me into the back, into the green room where I prepared and was on stage, was able to do my thing. And everybody seemed to be in calm about the situation except for me. What does that have to do with, with uh, today's story? You'll understand this in a few minutes. But, but I do want to talk to you about the mercy of God and about rethinking your strategy, all right? The mercy of God and about rethinking your strategies. Everybody in this room is on their way somewhere, at least we think we are. And everyone in this room has done enough in their life for God to cut you off from the somewhere you think you're going. And the, Amen. Everyone in here is on their way somewhere. And we have, everyone in here has done something in our lives that if God was judging us the way we judge each other, God would say, you don't deserve to get there. But his mercy. I'm going to say that again. But his mercy. But his mercies. 
Yes, his mercies. The Bible says this about his mercies, is that they're tender. He says that his mercies are, are tender. He says that his mercies are renewed day by day. That means that, that, means that uh, uh, the only reason why you have to renew something is because you use them all up. So that means that we use all of the mercy that God has for us up, and he's got to replenish his, his cachet or his carol of mercy that he has for our lives. So God's mercy is renewed day by day. Every day of our life, we have the mercy of God governing our lives. Why? Why? So that we can get to the place where God told us to get to. This man in this context and this man in this scripture is, uh, is a man who is broken. He is lamed. He has not walked for at least 38 years. We don't know how old he is, but we know for at least 38 years he has had this ailment of not being able to walk. And he's sitting at the gate of the temple. Somebody shout the temple. The temple is important in this context because the temple in Hebraic life, particularly in the life of the Jews, is the center of their whole communal activities. This is one reason why the Western world, the Christian church, has taken the philosophy from the Hebrew Jewish world. And that's why there are so many churches positioned within cities because the thought is, in the Hebrew Jewish thought, that God is the center of our community. So they put the they put the the, uh, the the their temples right in the center of their community, and they built life out from God, not life into God. They built life out from God, not life into God. God, religion is trying to get to God. Faith is I'm in God, and I can do life out of God. So they're, trying, they're showing us this idea that God is the center of community. And much of what we see in the Bible, particularly in Jesus' moments, were done, miraculous things were done in relative close proximity to the temple. Uh, when we see things like him pulling the cords and whipping the money changers, you remember that. That's right inside of the courthouse of the temples or in, in places and other things that took place in scripture took place right at the base or within a half mile, in most cases a quarter mile of the temple. And that's always a good thing, that you do your life so close to God that if you ever veer off, you don't have to find him. You can look up and know he's right there. All right. So he, this guy is, is, um, is lame and he is hurting and he is broken. And he is at the, the sheep gate. Somebody shout sheep gate. The sheep gate is really important. In order for you to understand everything that's taking place, it's important for us to define and identify all of these terms that we sometimes go over. This is not called, this, the story, we call the story the pool of Bethesda. But the pool is not called Bethesda. And the story really is only about a pool that's in an area called Bethesda, and a, or excuse me, a pool that is named after an action of God in their lives. The sheep gate, it's important to understand the sheep gate because there were many entrances into the temple. And you could come into the temple in many ways, but the sheep gate was the gate that was known because it was the place that after people bought their, uh, their animal and their animal was killed and slain, they were taken through this 
particular side of the gate so that it could be cleansed in the pools which were just on the other side of the gate. So on the outside is where people have their sheep, their bulls, their heifers, or their turtle doves. The Bible teaches us that God required the life of a thing in order to be sacrificed, meaning that a bull, a, a, a goat, a sheep, a heifer, which were the acceptable gifts from God, but God also would take a pigeon or a turtle dove if you were poor, but he did not expect somebody who could sacrifice a goat to give him a turtle dove. And so is the same in today's offerings and tithe. And the church said... This is the space where God tells them, he says, listen, outside here is where I want there to be the, the slaughter of the sacrifice. And what they would do is they would bring their sacrifices through the gate and they would cleanse them in this pool. You see how the Bible says that after the sheep pool, uh, after the sheep gate were the pools. We have called this, this pool the pool of Bethesda. This is not, it is not known, it is not called the pool of Bethesda. In their day, according to Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 3, in this pool was, uh, this, these pools rather, were called the cattle pools. These pools were called the heifer pools. Or they would at times call it the cattle gate or the sheep gate or the heifer gate. Why was that? Because in, the, in their day, they would bring their cattle, they would bring their heifers after they have slaughtered them. Before they took them in to sacrifice, they would cleanse them in these pools of water. There were five pools of water, as a matter of fact, that they cleansed them in. These five pools of water still stand today. We saw them when we went to uh, visit Israel. They don't look like they're standing, and of course they're not deep because they're over 3,500 years old. But the five pools, the pool of Bethesda, is still a, um, an artifact that is still shown to people today. Of these five pools, they would rinse and they would take them and they would take their sacrifices in and they would give them to the priest for the priest to offer up before God on behalf of their family. This is why the story starts off calling it the sheep gate and the pools that, were, that the Hebrews called Bethesda. Everyone didn't call those pools Bethesda. Everyone else called those pools the sheep pools or the heifer pools. And the Hebrew, somebody shout the Hebrew. The Hebrew called this the, the, the Bethesda. Why did they call it Bethesda? Because Bethesda actually means house of mercy. Beth, anytime you see Beth, Bethlehem, Bethesda, Bethsaida, Bethesda, Beth means house of. And whatever the word is that comes after it is what is the house of. Thesda, which is uh, um, uh, the Hebrew idea of mercy. It's the house of mercy. So, so to one, it is the pools of sacrifice. To another, it's the pools of mercy. Why is it considered the pools of mercy? Because when it was not sacrificing season, those same pools were used by the lame, the sick, the poor to bathe in. So the same pools that when it was worship season, people would bring their animals and bathe their animals and the blood of their animals would be rinsed off in these pools to take in the sacrifice. Those same pools would be the pools that the lame and the poor would have to go and publicly cleanse themselves in. 
They would go in and they would lay in and they would bathe themselves hoping that the mercy and the grace of God would deliver them and heal them. Other times it was just for the sake of sanitary reasons while they would lay into these waters. These were places that were, um, uh, they were not uh, considered by most people to be uh, where whole people went, where the good folks went. It was always where poor people went or where the fringes and the marginalized would go. And it was a place where the marginalized were publicly shown to be marginalized. Poor people would line up by the droves in an effort to get into this pool because they said, according to the story, they said that once a year, God would send an angel into the water and God would begin to stir the waters. And if by chance you got into the pool and you were amongst the first people to get into these waters, while the waters were stirring, you would be healed of whatever sickness and disease that you had. Isn't it interesting that you can have one place that has a different meaning to two different people? Isn't it interesting that in one pool, you have someone that sees the pool as an opportunity for them to worship? To the able, it was a moment to worship, but to the poor, it was a place that they needed mercy. It's interesting that you can have the same set of parents as your older sibling, and to you, they're the best people in the world, but to your older sibling, they never come around for dinner, they never come around for holidays because they want nothing to do with the people that you love. Same parents, two different perspectives. You can go to the same church and one person can walk out with deliverance and another person can say, this is the place that molested me. To one person, you can show up at the, at the high school reunion and it be the place of your greatest accomplishments. And to another person, it could be the place that brings back all the memories of ridicule and of what they pointed and said about you and why you haven't gotten your own emotional track to this day because of what happened back then. Isn't that interesting that you can have a different perspective of the same event that takes place? I've come to this conclusion that much of life is not about what we experience. It's about our perception of what we've experienced. I've come to this conclusion that when God saved us, somebody lied to us. They lied to us and told us that our experiences would change. That if I got saved, I wouldn't have to be hurt anymore. If I got saved, people wouldn't let me down. If I got saved, I wouldn't get sick. If I got saved, my money was going to run to me. They made me think I would have different experiences. When God didn't die for me to have a new experience, he died for me to have a new perspective. And the believer, y'all are not talking back to me. What happens with the believer is not that he doesn't get weak, but the believer's perspective is even though I am weak, I'm still strong. The perspective of the believer is even though I'm poor, I still see myself as rich. Even though I'm the last, I see myself as the first because life is about perspective. Somebody shout, change your perspective. Say that again. Say, change your perspective. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnification is based on your perception. God, help me in this place. You can only make God as big as you perceive him to be. And you will only have the blessing of God at the level of your perception of God. And if you have little perception, you'll have little miracle. But if you have ginormous perception, you'll have ginormous miracle. Y'all are not talking back to me. I need somebody in this place that has a large perception of God to magnify the Lord with me and give him about 15 seconds of your best praise. I said magnify him. He's bigger than that. I said magnify. Make him larger. 
But there's over-magnification of our problems, and there's an over-magnification of the perception of, our, of what we're going through. So much to the degree that we see problems bigger than we see our solutions, and we see our hurts bigger than we see our hero. We see our, our wounds bigger than we see our God, because the world has taught us that victimization is the way you get attention. And, and our desire is for attention, not healing. God, help me in this place. We want the fame of being a victim. Jesse, we want the fame of being a victim. <laughs> insert whoever else you want to insert. We want the fame of being a victim. Watch this. Instead of the responsibility of being healed. Because when you're healed, there's a different lesson that you have to learn in your life. You've got to unlearn broken when you decide you want to be healed. Am I helping anybody in here? The children of Israel were in the desert and they learned for 40 years how to, how to have Egypt take care of them and how to have God take care of them. When God lifted his grace off of his provision over their life, they had to now learn how to build houses that God had previously provided for because the difference is in, that Egypt, rather, had pre previously provided for them for because the difference is that in Egypt, the slave master gave them houses and in their freedom, they had to learn how to build their own houses. Now, what happened was they did not want to expend the energy to learn how to be free. So they asked God, Moses, send us back to Egypt because at least in Egypt, they took care of everything. And God said, y'all not going back to Egypt. You are going to learn how to be free. You are going to learn how to exercise the muscle of being whole and of being freedom. And I will not let you walk around this desert playing the victim when I have given you the victory. I don't know who I'm talking to in here this morning, but God told me that your excuse for being the victim is up. You have the victory. You've got the power. You've got opportunity. You've got the anointing. And this next season of your life, walk in your victory and give the world back your victimization. So they're broken. Somebody shout, he's broken. He's broken at the pool of mercy. He's broken at the pool, at the house of mercy. Everybody else is blessed, but I still need a loan. Everybody else is getting married, and I'm still sorry and, uh, and hurt and disappointed. Everybody else is getting what I want, except for me. I'm, I'm not at the pool of sacrifice, I'm at the pool of mercy. I'm not at the pool of worship like everybody else. I'm at the pool of lend me, loan me, let me have. Let me, have you ever been in a season of your life where you needed somebody to lend you, somebody to loan to you, or somebody to just let me have it, please, because you know I ain't got it to give it back to you. I'm not, I'm not talking to, to you. I'm talking to the one next to you that's willing to be honest, is that we all go through seasons where even though it looked like we got it, we ain't got it. We ain't got it. Even though, even though we've made everybody think that we together, we're not, we not, we not all that together. We made everybody think it's straight, but it ain't straight. Am I talking to anybody in here? Oh, God. I, 
Listen, y'all, this side is way more spiritual than that side. I want to talk to the people that have perfected acting perfect. And we have per- we've gotten good at playing it off like we're good. And, 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 and we can smile in public, but we cry when we go home. And we've got joy when you're looking, about, looking at me. But I've got a, a, a horrible pain when the eyes are off of me. And God is trying to help us understand that you don't have to be one thing in public and another thing in private. God wants to make your public and private life come together and I want you to understand that whatever shows up in public might not be happy but it is going to have joy because what I've got inside of me the world is not going to take happiness from me every time it feels like it because the joy that I have the world did not give it the world cannot take I need some joy filled folks to raise your voice I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. But they told me, he looked up in the middle of their struggle. of th- Hundreds of people pressing into the pool. They're struggling. And they've gotten comfortable with being around people that are comfortable being broken. So all of our language is broken. And all of our hurt is broken. And all of our conversation is broken. And we can't produce anything that's healthy. Because when we come together and mate, we mate brokenness. So everything around us is broken. Everything we birth is broken out of birth. We can't even preach a sermon about joy because everything that we think will make people shout has to do with brokenness. And when the preacher preaches and he's too happy, he's not, he not anointed enough because there's too much joy happening in his life. The devil is a lie. We're broke. We're broken. What is the commotion? The water's stirring. I'm broke, but the water's stirring. I'm broke, but the water's stirring. They said that when the water stirred, that an angel had come and literally sat into the water and began to stir it, and that the people that got to the water could be healed. And there is nothing more exciting than knowing that the presence of God is here, and I've got in my season of being delivered. I'm in my season of being made whole. I'm in my season of being able to get what God promised to me because the water is stirring. The water is moving. The water is shaking. God didn't leave you in your broken state. The water is stirring. I wish I had somebody in here that could get excited that he is the will in the middle of the will he's a present help in the time of trouble and even though I'm broken there's water that's stirring the water the water the water the water is stirring the water is shifting the water is shaking and all I've got to do is get to the water somebody shout take me to the water take me to the water take me to the water the man wants to get taken to the water and then the water stops stirring The water ceases and the presence is lifted and the broken is still broken and the hurt man is still hurt and the wounded woman leaves the sanctuary still wounded and the broken family leaves broken. The presence with no transformation. There was presence, but there was no deliverance. There was the presence, but there was no manifestation of it in my life. Have you ever been in the presence 
and you was hoping that you would walk in God's presence and you leave the different, you come out changed. You Have you ever been in a high service and everybody was getting the Holy Ghost and getting full of God and getting what they needed except for you? You came in and you, and wait a minute, you did everything that they did just like everybody. You clapped when they clapped and you lifted your hands when they lifted and when they started jumping, you started jumping and they walked away blessed and you walked away when the water, when the water stopped, you walked away. The man who was without was still without. But y'all didn't teach me that at church. Y'all told me that if I got in the presence, that what I didn't have, I would have. And what I have now, I'm going to be able to lose it. And I can leave it at the altar. That's what y'all taught me. But the water has stopped stirring, and I'm still on my pallet. I'm still broken. And I've got to find a way to bless God on my mat. <laughs> you're not ready for the next level until you have learned how to give God praise while you're on your mat. You're not, y'all not talking back to me. Yeah, see. The, the mat represents what you can't do. The mat represents where you're deficient. The mat represents where you're broken. The mat represents where he let you down. The, the mat represents where folks let you down. And listen, and you're not ready for God's next blessing until you can say, God, even if it didn't happen the way I was hoping it to happen, I'll praise you on this mat. Even I'm closer to prostrate anyway. I can see the good in being down. Y'all are not talking back to me. I need somebody that can say, I don't have it all, but I still got to praise. I don't have it in my hand, but I still have a worship. I can bless God while I'm on my mat. And God, Bible says he was sitting on the ground. As people were walking away, either rejoicing for being healed in the water or disappointed that the movement. But he could not stay or go. <laughs> He couldn't get closer or get further away because he was a lame man. And he couldn't get up and walk away. He couldn't even walk away disappointed. He had to remain in front of what disappointed him. Have, have you ever had to wake up every morning next to what disappointed you? Have you ever had to go back to work? And sit next to what disappointed you. Have you ever had to serve what has disappointed you? He can't, he can't, it's one thing if I can go and I can work and then I could just leave and I can keep on going. But he can't even leave it behind. He's got to wait. And the Bible said that Jesus looked over and saw that the man had been there a long time. Somebody shout a long time. And Jesus walks over to the man who had been there a long time. Somebody shout a long time. And at this point, the Bible is not referring to him as the man anymore or a man. He's referring to him as a sick man. The Bible has even started to identify him the way he's been identifying himself. Jesus, help me in this play. See, you want people to treat you like you whole, but you keep treating yourself like you sick. And people will treat you, watch this, the way you treat yourself. That, and until you start to see yourself as being whole and you start walking whole and you start acting like God has been with you, don't expect the world around you to treat you any different than the way you treat you. He had been calling himself sick, so now the Bible say the sick man. Jesus walked over to the sick man. And he tells the sick man, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? 
Jesus walked over to the sick man who had been there for a long time and said, do you want to be made whole? Jesus walked over to the sick man who had been sick for a long time and asked him, do you want to be made whole? He had been sick a long time, and then Jesus walked over to him and said, do you want to be made whole? For 38 years, this man had been sick, but the Bible says that the one who knows how to heal sickness walked over to him and asked him, did he want to stay sick, or do you want to be made, or do, how do you want to do this? Do you want to be made whole? The one who has the power over all sickness and disease walked over to the one who had been sick for a long time and asked him, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? See, here's the thing that I like about God is that after a while of you being too broken, I don't want to deal with you no more. But God can look at folks that have been broken for a long time and still say, I'm going to come over because you have come up in my, y'all not talking back to me. I don't know about you, but the Bible says that when Moses, when the children of Israel cried out, God went up to Moses and said, go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go because I heard their cry. They had been crying for so many years that it got the attention of God and God said, it's their season to stop crying. So Moses, go in there and tell them I'm going to bring them out. But they've been crying a long time. He said, but tell them today is their day. Oh, God, help me in this place. When the man woke up that morning and got dropped off at the gate, he thought it was going to be a day like any other day and but it was not his merit it was God's merit that he said today is his day that today if you want to be made whole I'll make you whole the question is not can I but do you want to be made whole do you want I came to tell somebody today that today can be your day to be made whole because when God gets ready to fix it the devil can't stop it the adversary can't stop it the witch can't stop it the warlock can't stop it your isms can't stop it your mindset can't stop it your haters can't stop I wish I had some help in here. There is nothing that can stop God from moving when he has put you in his sight. Bible said there were many people there and God saw just him. Somebody shouts, God, you got to see me. God, you got to see me. I know, I know it's a lot of sick people that come to church. I know it's a lot of people that's in the house today that need a breakthrough. They in the balcony. They on the floor. They downstairs. They need a breakthrough. But God, you got to see me. He walked up to him. He said, the healer is here. The deliverer is here. The way maker is here. The one that can set you free is here. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? Are you ready? Are you ready for me to touch you? Are you ready for me to lift you? Are you ready for, for you to go from, from the ground to your feet? Are you ready for you to go from the mat on your, on, your, uh, on your hind parts to a mat in your hand? Are you ready? I got your back. I'm here. Do you want to be made whole? Without any blinking or or trepidation, the man looks up at the, the Christ, and his reply was, "Sir, there's there's no man to put me in the water. There's there is no man." To put me in the water. In fact, when they come, they walk past me. They they walk past me. Do do you want to be made whole? There's no man that can put me. The man, the men don't put me. The able people don't pay my bills for me. I'm sorry. 
The, the married people don't invite me over because I'm single. Wait a minute. The, the, the single people don't make me feel like I belong. Wait a minute. The man, the, he, said, he said, sir, there is no man. There is no man who would come and help get me to the water. In fact, they walk past me as if they got problems of their own. <laughs> they, they spend their money on their own bills. They, 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 they're, they're big. Don't they know that I'm here and I'm wounded and I'm hurting and that they're supposed to stop their life to make my life work? Don't they understand that they're supposed to forfeit their healing so that I can get healed? There is no man. And in fact, they walk right past me. They see that I need something and they're trying to get to this pool for healing. Never mind that the pool is for people that need. And even though they're walking, they must have a need if they're trying to get to the pool. But I'm mad at them because they, are, they have a brokenness that's different than my brokenness so they still trying to get to the pool but because they got feet I'm mad at them because I don't I can't walk but they're still trying to get to the pool and it never crossed my mind that maybe they're trying to get to the pool because they're broken in a different way than I'm broken in and they don't have the time to stop their life to try to fix my life so that we can get y'all are not talking back to me in here he said there is no man There's no man. There's no man. Aren't you tired of putting your life in man's hands? Aren't you tired of putting your happiness in man's hands? Aren't you tired of putting your peace in man's hands? Aren't you tired of putting your destiny in man's hands? I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. I think that God is offended standing in front of that man, listening to the man talk about how no man is going to help him get healed by the water that he created, by a man that he created. By Y'all not talking back to me. He's looking at the man that created the angel that would stir the water, that created the water that he needed to get to, that created the man that would pick you up that created the ailment that has you here on the ground this is God said I'm insulted that you're asking for a man over me he said he said you put your healing in the hands of people that are just as fragmented as you are and then you hold them to the standard so that you can remain mad. Because that's what y'all do at the... We just find ways to stay hurt. And I put all of the fact that I'm not whole on other folks that's trying to get made whole. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person next to you. He said, he said there is no man. Where'd you get that from? Because the way this is supposed to happen sir, is that the first person that gets into the water is the first people that get healed. It's not the first individual. It's the first sets of people that get to the water. No, the first ones that get healed. And the only way I could get healed is that I got to get to the water the way I got here, which is that some guys came and they picked me up in my mat and they placed me within eyesight and they put me just short of what... Of, of being able to get healed. And, 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 and instead of, of the man seeing that the men had brought them as far as they could take him. Jesus, help me in this play. Uh, see, you mad at people for not completing a sentence, but they got you to the comma. Because, uh -huh, because, uh, because sometimes that's all we're supposed to do is get you to the comma. And God is the one that's going, he's the author and the finisher. 
God. He's the one that's going to finish your life. So every now and then, you got to be grateful that, hey, mom, you couldn't support me through college, but I thank you for getting me here. Hey, dad, you wasn't there, but you got me here. I can't be mad at you my whole life because you were not what they were in their children's lives. I thank you that you got me to the comma. Now, me and God are going to take it the rest of the way. I need somebody in here that's ready to give God the credit for finishing the work in your life. He said, he, he was committed in the face of deliverance, looking breakthrough in his eyes. He was committed to the strategy that a man has to pick me up and get me to the water in order for me to be delivered. He's looking deliverance in the face, but he's committed to the strategy that if don't nobody see about my gift, it ain't never going to happen. You looking opportunity in the face, but committed to the strategy. <laughs> Is there anybody committed to a strategy that ain't working? I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. Committed to a methodology, committed to a direction that's not working, committed to a direction. Have you ever gone down the road and your GPS uh, uh, had to reroute you? Have you ever gone down the road and you made a wrong turn and the GPS had to reroute you? Most of us would start to follow the reroute. But how foolish is it that you would keep driving in a space where your GPS has to start spinning itself to try to get you on track? It's like I'm committed to the spinning more than I am to the destination. And many of us are committed to the spinning and saying that the reroute is God working in my life. When God is saying, I'm tired of rerouting your life, I want to get you to the destination of this season of your life. Am I preaching to anybody that's tired of the reroute? Touch your neighbor, say, I'm exhausted with the reroute. Tell your neighbor, I'm tired of spinning my life and spinning my wheels and spinning my mind. God wants to get you there, but you can't be committed to him spinning you, spinning your life, spinning you're like, that must mean God's working. Why? Because the confusion is happening. And then we come up with all kinds of reasons why. Sometimes God got to shake it up before he clears it out. That's what, That's how we, but the spinning is happening. God's just turning it around. No, God ain't turning it around. He ain't shaking it up. You just spinning. That's what you're doing. You're spinning. And because you like the victimization of people talking about your spinning, you'll never let God redirect you. You are committed to the attention and not committed to your next level. God said, who in the world told you that the only way for you to get healed, the only way for you to start a business, the only way for you to be attractive to somebody, the only way, who told you that the only way was if a man came and validated your efforts? I am God, I spoke out of nothing and created something. I am God, by faith the worlds were framed. I am God, I'm told the coordinates of the universe where to start and where to end. I know, he told Joe, where the lightning is stored and I know where the thunder reverberates. I'm the one that holds back the rain. How dare you tell me that your destiny has to come through the hands of a man and that's the only way it can happen. 
He said, I don't care what you've been through, I can make you what I saw you to be. I don't care what you did, I can recreate in you a clean heart and renew a right spirit in you. I don't care how far behind you've gotten, I can pull you to the front of the line like that man did me at the, at the convention. He walked over and said, it's your time to stop waiting in this line. I saw you, I know you, and you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. I'll take you from the back and move you to the front. And in one swell swoop of one person's decision, my day turned around. And God can turn your life around with one command. Pick up your bed and walk. Pick up your bed. Pick that up and, 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 and walk. Now stop telling me how it's going to happen. Well, I got to put my business plan together first, and then I'm going to make sure, and then I'm going to send out my, and I'm not saying don't do these things, but I'm also saying that you can't be so committed to the strategy. You can't be so committed to the methodology, committed to the look because it works for everybody else. You can't be so committed to the, to the, to the, uh, to the optics of a thing. Sometimes you've got to say, I'm about to throw it out there, God, and if it's going to happen, you're going to have to come and have, make it happen. And if it works this way, praise the Lord. But if you want to mess up my day anytime you want to, Holy Ghost, you can take me from the back and move me to the front. You can get me off of this ground and put me back on my feet. All it takes is a word from heaven. Is there anybody that needs a word from God? Raise your voice and give him a shout this morning. I said give him a shout this morning. He tells the man, he says, look. He says, but... But you know, it's been 38 years. <laughs> so my ankles are gonna be weak if I stand up, right? He said, pick up your bed and walk. He said, but my knees, they haven't worked in 38 years. I don't know if they're gonna be able to support my weight. He said, pick up your bed and walk. He said, but I don't know about my, hip, my hips, can my hips here? See, here's the thing about God, is that God had called him healed before he told him to get up. The only reason he told him to get up is because in God's eyes, he was already healed. Because God will never give you a command and not empower you to operate in the command that he gave you. So if he said get up, that means I didn't took care of the ankles and I took care of the knees and I took care of the hips. Y'all are not talking back to me. If I said start the business, I've taken care of the loan, I've taken care of the customers. I take, All you've got to do is do like God. I said and not be ashamed of not having to go to route everybody else with because in this season God is building testimonies he said he said may I again he says he says thank you you gotta be ready when the preacher gonna use your stuff <laughs> for his sermon you gotta be ready now you ain't in the spirit amen <laughs> Somebody point your hand to us and say, get in the Holy Ghost, get in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Thank you, God, that I'm no longer broken. Thank you, God, that I'm healed. And what happens when many of us get healed is we start working our way away from the season that broke us. And God said, no, 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 I said, pick up the bed and walk. He said, but I don't want to have to think about that season. That was when I got molested. He said, go pick up the bed. But that was the season when they abandoned me. He said, go pick up the bed 
He said, but that was the season where they didn't validate my gift. He said, I said, go pick up the bed. But I don't want to bring those were the, the, the seasons of my tears. God said, I said, go pick up the bed because you're not going to get into your next season just showing the world your glory and not showing the world your story. He said, so I need you to pick up the bed because, see, uh, they applaud you when they see the glory, but they'll give me the praise when they see the story. Y'all are not talking back to me in here. This next season, you don't get to not tell the world what God has done for you. So at this next season, and you don't get to be embarrassed about being broken because God doesn't get any glory out of you keeping your mouth shut about your journey. That's why he told them, pick up the bed because when you get to the next town, they're going to ask you, how in the world are you standing? And you can get to show them that I, that I was once broken, but now I'm put back together. I was once hurt, but now I'm put back together. Who am I preaching to in here that's willing to let the world know that I was lost, but now I'm found? I was broken but now I'm healed I was blind but now I see and if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side where would I be he said I want you to take this bed with you everywhere you go he said and people are gonna ask you questions because they're gonna remember the fact they're not even gonna believe first of all God will clean you up so good that the world won't believe what you've been through Am I talking to anybody? Like, like if you told your testimony, people be like, you wasn't ever no drug addict. You wasn't ever no alcoholic. You ain't been divorced four times. Don't try to bring that to me because God will clean you up so good that like the Hebrew boys who went through the fiery furnace and came out, the Bible said that their clothes were not hands and neither did their hair and garments smell like smoke. God will take you through the fire and pull you out and the world will never know that you've been through stuff. That's why I said you got to grab the garment. He said, you got to pick up the bed. He said, the people will be celebrating your glory. He said, but, the, but people don't get a breakthrough in your glory. They get a breakthrough through your story. God help me in this place. <laughs> yeah. Am I helping anybody in here? And can I help my entrepreneurs out with something? Is that people will pay for your story. They don't want you to tell them how, how good you got it. But if you tell them that I was messed up and I had to get back on my feet and now I am a product of this. I was once on the ground, but now I'm on my feet. People will invite you to tell the story. They'll pay you for it because when God turns your life around, he turns your life around. You don't do that. He does this. Where y'all gonna get this? He don't do that. He does this. <laughs> Over here, you are associated with your brokenness and your victimization. And if you get your breakthrough and you back here, <laughs> so he so he says, I gotta get you. Around folks, uh, <laughs> that they'll never be able to identify you with this unless you have it under your shoulder like I told you to have it. And they will see the glory of God on your life, but you'll tell them the story of God on your life. And people will start to ask, what must I do to be saved? How did that work for you? How is that working in your life? Who's been walking and standing with you? And you can tell them that I was once on a mat begging for my life and God came and wrote a new script for me. Wrote a new script for me. 
I'm so excited about what God is doing. Stand to your feet all over this building. Is this helping anybody? I'm so excited about what God is doing in 2019. But I want y'all to listen to me. What's today's date? The, the 17th? St. Patrick's Day? Y'all behave tonight. St. Patrick's Day. Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. I'm excited about 2019. I'm excited about your 2019. But you know what I can't wait to see? I can't wait to see some of you. March 17th, 2020. Because what God can do in your life, ah, I need somebody to catch what I'm saying. What God can do in your life in a short period of time, I'm telling you, I prophesy over somebody in this room, people are going to look at you this time next year, and you're going to have the thing that they identified you with that they said, you'll never make it because of this. You'll never go to the next level because of that. You'll never be what God called you to be because of that. It is not, you're not going to be sitting on it. It's going to be under your feet. It'll be in your hand. It'll be a part of your testimony. And the thing that they laughed at, they're going to be paying for it because you're going to write a book about it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I'm not just a spokesman. I'm a client. Are they too young for that? Okay. Won't you lift your hands all over this building? you lift your hands all over this building. When you get in your car and you start pressing in your GPS, you press in the destination. You don't press in the instructions for how you're going to get there. You just put in the destination. And the car will start to configure how you'll get there. And sometimes you'll say, but man, it's, I should just go down Market Street, but it's taking me down Imperial. And boy, it would just seem like I should go east, but it's taking me west. And most of us never question the GPS. We just say, well, okay. Let's see how it takes me. I'll learn a new way. But when it comes to God in the direction of our life, we see the destination, but we want to start telling God <laughs> the strategy of how we're going to get there. Well, God, I don't want to have to cry for, for a whole year. Well, God, no, I don't want to have to lose no money in the process. Oh, no, 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 God, you're going to shift my friendship circle? You don't get, no, 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 I'm comfortable with who I, you mean that I got to learn a new language if I'm going to, what, what, you telling me to not scream so much and stand before people and actually teach and preach the gospel? What? But God, they're not going to dance and shout and knock over the chairs and get the emotion that I want to see them have. You mean tell me that there's, oh, you're my GPS. Oh, you got it from here. God says, when I download purpose in you, all you've got to do is agree with what you see at the end and then take your hands off the wheel. Have you come into agreement with how God is going to bless your life? Have you come into agreement with all the things that God has said about you?
If you can come into agreement with that, then you just got to take your hands off the wheel. And in the middle of the crowd, when the water stopped stirring and the people started going home, the Savior showed up and said, is it okay if I do it a different way in your life? Is it okay if I pull it to pass in a way that's different than everybody was expecting and maybe even you? And today, my prayer is that in the middle of being wounded and being hurt, You have the courage to try you have the courage to 